listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for that, uh, Peter Gabriel. I mean, Mikhail Larinaga. Uh So we continue our series, Then Sings My Soul, looking at the power of songs and the way in which they can shape us. This particular one is not a very popular one, I think. Um, How many of you have even heard that song before? All right, so three of us. So it was a song that Peter did kind of for the Disney movie WALL-E. And I realize that a lot of us maybe aren't kind of watching Disney films that much anymore. But this particular one, it came out in 2008, so that's a few years ago. And the hero, Wally, uh, stood for Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class. <laughs> he, was a, he was a trash compactor. And it's, it's an animated film. And he's the hero, and he falls in love with another kind of android. Her name is Eva. Uh, and so it's not, it's not very subtle. He's kind of the new Adam, and she's the Eve. And it's supposed to develop this, this idea of kind of refurbishing the Earth. But the reason that I wanted to talk about that song is because for too long, I think, Christianity has been shared in such a way that it's only about your soul and it's only about somewhere else. That somehow we're going to save your souls and then you're going to leave this place and go somewhere else. And that's really what God is up to. But that story is not the story we actually find in the Gospels. It's not the story we find in the New Testament. God, or for the Old Testament for that matter, the Bible opens with a story of creation. And God is the creator. And God creates this whole universe, this world, and he says it is good. And that story then gets played out as God is on this path to restore the world, to save it, to redeem it. And we first see that in the incarnation of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus came in human flesh. The word that was with God and was God in the beginning, the word through whom all things were created, became flesh and dwelt among us, full full of grace and truth. And his name is Jesus. So that the incarnation of Jesus, that God coming in the flesh, is this radical affirmation of the goodness of creation. If creation weren't good... Jesus would not have come in the flesh. He could have just come as a spirit. He could have come and like appeared to be the flesh, but not actually been flesh, right? He could appear to be human, but not actually been human. And there were some in the early church that argued that that was the case. They argued that Jesus wasn't actually a human. He just looked like one. And they wanted to kind of emphasize the divinity of Jesus. And in uh, Second John, the, there are three epistles by John there at the end of the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in 2 John, the elder is saying, look, there's a really dangerous teaching that's out there, and it's starting to infiltrate the church. It's so dangerous that I would rather you not even talk about it. Like, shut the door. Keep out the devil. That's a different song. Right. But not, not even talk about it. And here's what that teaching was. 
Here's what was so dangerous that the elders said, it's better not even to discuss it because there are some people who are saying Jesus wasn't actually human. And the elder says, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Hmm, that's tough, right? That's a big one, right? You don't want to be called the spirit of Antichrist. Little Bible trivia for you here. There are two books in, in the Bible that contain the word Antichrist. Only two. Now, I've just told you one of them was 2 John. <laughs> so the other, anybody want to guess? Matthew, that's a good guess. In Matthew, it says false Christs. It doesn't actually use the term Antichrist, but it's a similar idea. Somebody else? No? You don't want to, you don't want to say because you don't know. I get it. It's like I'm back in the classroom. Don't look at the professor when they ask you a question, right? Uh, so, yeah, so Daniel um, does talk about... Uh, well, Daniel actually focuses more on the one like the Son of Man, right? The Ancient of Days. There are these kind of beasts that the one like the Son of Man overcomes, but there are four beasts. They're, they're, they don't use that term. Second Thessalonians will use the man of lawlessness, so some people associate it with that. Uh, the book of Revelation uses the term beast, but the only other place the term Antichrist appears is in 1 John. In 1 John and 2 John, that's it. And there, in both cases, it's associated with this idea that somehow Jesus wasn't human. So we need to hold on to this concept of the humanity of Jesus. And I, I want to take it a step further. So in the beginning, God created and said it was good. Then Jesus came in the flesh, which is affirmation of the goodness of creation. Then Jesus dies on a cross, right, for our sins. And if that were the end of the story, Jesus could have gone on to heaven post-death on the cross the same way that our loved ones had, right? We all have people that we've loved, that knew the Lord, that are no longer with us. And we say they've gone to be with the Lord. So why didn't Jesus just do that? Why didn't Jesus just go on to be with the Father the same way my grandmother did? Or my mom and dad have. That's not the story we have, right? The story we have is that Jesus was resurrected from the tomb. A bodily resurrection. The tomb is empty. Like this is quintessential Christian belief. But if Jesus' body was resurrected, if, if the birth of Jesus and the incarnation of Jesus is this affirmation of the goodness of creation then the resurrection of that body is a radical reaffirmation of the goodness of creation. I mean, Paul will say later that we are new creatures in Christ. He uses that language. So that it is us. Like the faith is not just something that goes on in your head. It's not just a matter of you understanding something or thinking something about Christ. And you, you might be able to appreciate that and say, yes, it's not just my thoughts, it's my feelings. But I'm going to tell you today, it's not just about what goes on in your heart. Like sometimes we will use the term think and believe like they're synonyms, right? I think this is true, I believe this is true. Like that sounds like a synonym, right? But for the Jews, that wasn't the case. Um, belief, faith, was something that you didn't just do inside your head. 
It was something that you did in your heart, and it wasn't something you did just in your heart. It was something you did in your body. You embodied your faith. You lived it, right? To have faith in someone is to place your trust in them. And this, this is what I think a song like um, Peter Gabriel's song about coming down to the earth, having our feet planted on solid ground, can teach us, can in a way remind us of an old story that we serve the creator of the universe, that he said this place is good and that he's coming to save it. This story out of John 3 that that we just heard read, Micah read it for us, right? It has that ever so popular passage, you know, maybe the most popular passage. You see it at sporting events. Sometimes people just hold up signs and it says, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only one and only son that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. But we stop there. And, but Jesus didn't stop there because he said, because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. That's the big part of this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved. Let me, let me, let me frame it like this. Perhaps you've heard this story before that Jesus died on a cross and that he was resurrected and therefore you, your soul can be saved. That is true, but that's not the end of the story. In fact, I might go as far to suggest that that's the beginning of the story. That you're, you're saved from sin and death. But, but God's salvation of you from sin and death wasn't just to rescue you so you could be saved. You're not just saved from something. You are saved for something. And the thing that you are saved for is God's world. We're saved for the world so that we can be the body of Christ in the world. So we can be the ones, the, the ambassadors of the kingdom sent out into the world. Like this, this is what God is actively doing. And we have now the privilege and the responsibility of those who have been saved from sin and death so that we might be used by God to share that gospel, that good news in the world. Paul will say this too. He'll talk about don't be unequally yoked. You should be yoked with Christ. Do you know this passage? It's from 2 Corinthians. Um, for those of you who kind of grew up in church, this is a very common passage to talk about in youth groups. I don't, I don't know if you know the, the typical youth pastor interpretation. I think it's youth pastors. If you don't know the youth pastor interpretation of this, as it's often been interpreted, it goes something like this. Um, Paul tells us not to be unequally yoked. That means you should not date a non-Christian. Right? Now, because, you know, dating evangelism is typically is not very effective. Uh, 
the, the non-believer seems to have more influence on the believer than the other way around. Look, all of that may be true. That has nothing to do with what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> has nothing to do with it. You're not to be yoked to the world so that you function like the world. You're to be yoked to Christ. But if you are yoked to Christ, where do you think you will be? You will be in the world. Because that's where Christ is. Actively in the world. Loving it. Serving it. Dying for it. That's what it means to be yoked to Christ. Is to be like Christ. But to be like Christ is not to be separated from the world. But to be placed in the world and to function like Christ does in the world. Hence we call ourselves the body of Christ. We say this when we come to the table, right? Behold what you are, but become what you receive. So that we, we, we pray, Heavenly Father, send down your spirit upon these gifts. Make them the body and blood of Christ. So that as we partake of them, we might become the body of Christ sent out into the world. You've also heard this too. That we are in the world, but not of the world. But when we say that, we often act like that we are going to be somewhere else. Somewhere in outer space, like in Wally, -E, like the, the, the human population of the Earth in that movie, the, the Disney animated film, they're, they're up on this giant uh, cruise ship, right? And everybody's super obese because everything's automated for them, and they're just living up there centuries on centuries on centuries because they burnt the Earth up and it's no longer useful. As though that's, you know, our vision of the afterlife. I'm going to go to heaven, and it's up there somewhere, and all my needs are met. It's like this eternal cruise, right? Uh, um, give me a cruise line. Carnival. Mm, that's more of like for the young folks. Don't think carnival. That's a little too worldly. Give me another one. Royal Caribbean. That's a good one. Yeah, it's kind of for families. This is a family comedy. Right? Yeah. It's like this. We imagine heaven is some kind of eternal royal Caribbean in the sky. But listen to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, the one in the heavens, let your name be sanctified. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as in heaven, also upon earth. As in heaven, also upon earth. We're praying that God's kingdom, that God's will, that is already realized in the spiritual realm of things, will come and be on earth as in heaven. That's what we're praying for. And that's what the return of Christ will look like. It will look like the kingdom of God coming here. That's what Jesus preached most of the time. Jesus came preaching the good news, the gospel. And what did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he said. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming. It's not about us going somewhere. It's about God coming here. And when God comes here, he's going to make the wrong things right. And it's going to involve us in the process. So I just want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that somehow the gospel is, doesn't include the salvation of your souls. 
It does include that. You are saved from sin and death. And if, and if you haven't made a profession of faith, I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to, to talk to you and pray with you so that you can make that profession of faith. You can identify with Christ. You can receive the forgiveness that has already been offered to you. But what I want you to know is that that's not the end. That's the beginning. Because as I said it, I said it just a second ago, I'm going to say it again, I'll probably say it again later, that we are not simply saved from something, we are saved for it. We're saved from sin and death, but we are saved for the world so that we can be like Christ, laying our lives down for others. One of the ways that Jesus would talk about this embodied life, this faith that you practice and that you, you live, this trust that you place in him, he used this image, this image of being salt and light, right? You're to be salt, you're to be light, you're to be a city on a hill. Jesus is not looking for passive followers. He's looking for active participants. That's, that's the second part of the equation, right? That we are saved for something. We are to be salt. We are to be light. I mean, we, we taught you this when you were a kid, right? You had you hold up your finger and you sang that little song, this little light of mine, and put it under a bushel, you shout no, right? You remember that one? Oh, you don't remember that one? Well, that was old school. We'll have to, we'll have to bring it back. <laughs> We'll have to bring it back. Yeah, not right now. Thank you. <laughs> years and years ago, I attended a conference, and this lady was speaking, and she titled her talk, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. I was maybe 18 when I first heard it. I've heard it a couple of times. She must like that talk. I heard, like four or five years later, I heard her give the same talk, like exactly the same talk. But yeah, we, we call that little utensil on the table a salt shaker. And the salt that's there in the shaker is good. And maybe that's what Jesus is calling us to be, like salt that sits in a salt shaker. Except salt in a salt shaker doesn't do us any good. Right? It has to get out of the salt shaker and into the world. And sometimes at least in the, in the case of a salt, sh salt shaker, it has to be shook up, right? You got to shake it to get the salt out. And I guess we could look back at the last year and a half or two years in a way in which we've all been shaken. You know, none of us anticipated early 2020 that there was going to be a global pandemic that we would have friends get sick. We'd have some friends that would die. We would have an economy that would break. We would have friends, friendships that would break over political positions about how the pandemic should be thought of. But maybe, maybe we can just see all the difficulty that we've had as a shaking. And maybe that shaking and I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not saying that God caused the pandemic. I think it's evil. And I don't think God causes evil. But I do think 
that God can respond to evil in ways that destroys it and overcomes it. And I think one way God might use us to overcome that evil is for that shaking to create in us some activity in our lives and in our communities and in our church and in our world. I need you. And and you need others. We need each other. It is time to be all in. All in with our time, with our attendance, with our energy, with our resources, to make a difference in our community, to care for one another, and to reach out and to care for new folks who might be in various forms of need. To be salt and to be light, but not just to be it, but to be salt and light that's used by God in the world. To come down to the ground, as the song says. Not just be up there in the sky. It's another old adage we used to say. They're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That was a critique of of some spiritual types in the church. But man, there's some truth to that one. We can be so heavily minded that we are no earthly good. But salt and light is for the earth. That's who it's for. So we receive God's love and we're grateful for that. We, and we receive God's forgiveness and we're grateful for that. But now, having been forgiven and having been loved, we are now to be agents of that love and agents of that forgiveness. And it can start in our families in our friendships, in our coworkers, or our fellow students. Reach out to our neighbors. Include especially those who are different than us. To find ways to dialogue and to compromise and to care, to defer. It's, it's not a message that you're hearing elsewhere, right? You're not, you're not hearing this when you're online in your social media feeds. If you're watching the news. It's all polemics, right? Everything is us against them. And what I'm telling you is God has saved us for them. And that requires us. It requires us to lean into God. Because I don't think we get to the place where we actually become salt and light, being used as salt and light by sheer force of our own will. It's not like trying harder gets us there. It's our devotion to God. It's, it's leaning into God that that shapes us into those types of people. It's regularly, look, I know, I'm the preacher, and so you think I have to say that you should come to church often. But that's, listen to me here. You regularly come, you pray, you hear scripture read, you sing, you greet one another with grace and peace, you come to the table, you receive the sacrament. That regular practice of that, of being told you're loved and you're forgiven, 
regularly. It takes some time, but that, that will shape you into a person who more readily forgives and loves so that you can be, again, the very instrument of God's work in the world. To be chosen. That's what that means. To be chosen, to be elect, to be set apart. It's been sanctified, right? Something that is sanctified, something that's chosen or elect, means it's, it's, been, it's used for a purpose. These utensils that we, we use, these plates, these cups, have been set apart for God. Again, to be set apart for God's use, not just set apart to be apart from, but set apart to be used by God here on earth with good old flesh and blood people that God made and God loves and God died for and God is saving and God is calling us to participate in that work. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.